KMTT, Kimitzion, Tetzei Torah, Bishana Tova, Gmar, Khatima Tova. It's the day after Shana, two days after, after Shabbat. It's on Gedalia. We have one week to Yom Kippur. And this is the last week of our series on Yudgimu Midot. We have two Midot to go. This is Ezra Bek. And today's Midah is three Midot. Nasei Avon Bafesha Vechata'ah. This is the ninth Shur in this ten-part series. And today's Midot are Midot 10, 11, and 12 of the 13 Midot, the 13 Attributes of Mercy. Nasei Avon Bafesha Vechata'ah. First glance... Whatever this means, you would say it's only one midah. God carries, God bears. Basically, Nosei means that somehow he, you know, he, he forgives in some way. He, he bears our sins, our iniquities, and our transgressions. The fact that there are synonyms for the word sin doesn't really make it into separate midot. The assumption in the series was that each midah, each attribute of mercy operates differently. It's a different operation, a different action on the part of God. But the way we count the 13 uh, midot, these are three different, although there's only one verb, nosei, but it's as though it were written nosei avon, nosei pesha, v'nosei chat adabamban. In his commentary to the Torah, mentions this point, and in a rather enigmatic statement says, it's true, there are three different midot. The carrying, the bearing, is different in relationship to avon, or fesha, or chata'a. Each one has a certain special nature to it. That's why each one is called a separate attribute. Okay, he doesn't explain, he just says that there's something different about bearing avon, bearing pesha, and bearing chata. I don't recall what the uh, usual translations are. It's probably not even consistent in the different sidurim or the different translations of the Torah. So I'm going to stick with the Hebrew terms avon, pesha, and chata. We'll see immediately what these terms mean in the eyes of Chazal. Um, but just in case somebody wants a handle... So I'll give you my translation. Avon is transgression. Pesha is crime. And Chata is sin. But we'll, we'll define them in a few minutes. In order to understand the difference that the Ramban refers to in the way each one is born, we're going to use as our text a, a different question that Chazal raised, and not about this Pasuk, only inadvertently about this pasuk, but the topic is a different one. Chazal are concerned about the question of order. You have a number of sugyot, it's an interesting attitude that Chazal have that even when you have to do A, B, C, and D, it's very important to describe and to determine the order that things, the proper order things should be done in. We have this in, in Shemon Esrei, what's the order of the different requests in, in Tefillah. You have sometimes different activities altogether, both of which are applicable and obligatory, which should be done first. 
there's a, there's a question, what is the proper order things should be done? Our question today involves the proper order when in tefillah, not when you give a midot, when in tefillah you're mentioning avonot and pshaim and chataim, what's the order of the recitation? When does this take place? It takes place in vidui, in confession. It will take place when we dive in on Yom Kippur, in the sections dealing with confession, the sections dealing with the mentioning of, of, of atonement, and Chazal want to know the proper order. Specifically, the question is mentioned in a Mishnah in Masechet Yoma, Daflam and Hay, where the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, we, we, we recite these passages in Tefillah on Yom Kippur, it does vidui, says confession to the sins of Am Yisrael. And he mentions there, Avonot, Pshaim, and Chataim, or in their verb form, he says, Aviti, Pashati, Vechatati, and the Mishnah, Daflam and Hay, says the order is, Avon, Pesha v'chata. V'kach haya omer. Kohen Gadol. Thus would he say, Anna Hashem aviti, that's avonot, pashati v'chatati lifanecha. Then he would say, Anna Hashem kaperna, ala avonot, ala pshayim v'lachatai. The Gemara Adaf later on, Adaf Lamidvav and Mudbet quotes this uh, quotes this statement of the Mishnah, and in fact even brings proof texts to show that this is the proper order. V'chein b'sayil hamishdaleich hu omer v'hitvada alav et kol avonot b'nei Yisrael et kol pishayhem lechol chatotam. A pasuk which is actually in Yom Kippur, the sending of the scapegoat, the sayil mishdaleich. The pasuk says, and he shall um, confess on it all the Avonot, the transgressions of the Jews, and all their crimes for all their sins. V'chein b'mosheh u'omer, now quotes our Pasuk. And so to Moshe said, Nosei avon, pesha b'chata. Okay, so, remember the order. Avon, pesha, and then chata. The writer says, Zu da'at Meir. This Mishnah is the opinion of Meir. But, that's not what we, that's not what we follow. Because Chachamim deny this order. And why is that? Because they have an understanding of what these words mean. And according to that understanding, this order is impossible. Chachamim omrim. Avonot eidu hazdonot. The word avon, which I have translated for our purposes as transgression, means intentional sin. Zadon, mezid. That's called avon. Pasuk says that someone is punished with a punishment called karet because he has a sin of avon. Which means that it has to be a mezid. It has to be an intentional, fully responsible sin. Okay, so that's what avonot are. Avonot are what we call regular sins. Transgressions. You've transgressed, you've gone against what God said. Pshaim, the word pesha, elu hamardim. These are acts of rebellion. Rashi explains that. You did it not because you know you knew it was wrong and you did it anyhow, but because you wanted to go against God. Not because you were hungry and you ate something that you shouldn't eat, but because you, you wanted to rebel against God's word. Elu hamardim. These are acts of rebellion. 
ויאמר, אז תפשר לבנה בעת ההיא, טו פסוקים in Tanakh, which are referring about, not about God, about political rebellion. מלך מואב פשע בי, the king of Moab, rebelled against the king of Israel. So, זדונות are, I'm sorry, עוונות are intentional transgressions, and פשעים are acts of rebellion. Offhand, more serious. חטאה, לכל חטאותם, אלו השגגות. Rabbi said the word chata'a refers specifically to unintentional transgressions, to acts of negligence. V'cheinu omen nefesh ki techeta b'shkaga, the pasha netorah, which describes the korban chata'at, which is called korban chata'at, which is a sacrifice that's brought for shogeg, for unintentional lapses. You ate something that's forbidden, but you didn't remember that it was forbidden, or you didn't remember that God had forbidden it. It slipped your mind. So those actions require atonement. And there's a whole parasha called bringing the korban, the sacrifice, which we call chatat. It's a different level of sin, obviously, and obviously a, a, a lower level. So, avon, pesha, b'chata'a, the order suggested by the Mishnah in Yoma, is intentional acts, rebellious acts, and unintentional lapses. At which point, Chachamim say, how can you confess in that order? If you've confessed the intentional acts and the rebellious acts, at the end, you confess the unintentional acts. It doesn't make any sense of such an order that you should leave the least significant to the end. And therefore, Chachamim say that the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur had a different order, and this is the order that we mentioned in our Machzorim. When we dive in on Yom Kippur, Rabba Aleinu Letova, Chatati, Aviti, Upashati. You go from the least to the most severe. I have sinned unintentionally, I have sinned intentionally, and I have rebelled. Chatati, Aviti, Upashati, Fanecha. And in fact, there are a lot of proof texts to this as well. V'chem Davidu Omer, Chatanu, Evotenu, He'avinu, Be'erchanu. V'chem Shlomo Omer, Chatanu, Be'avinu, Rashanu. Number of psukim where this is the order. You begin from chatat, which is low-level transgression. You've sinned, you've transgressed, and you've done evil by rebelling. Okay? So this is a machloket about the order of confession on Yom Kippur. But there's one problem. They make a, it makes a lot of sense what they said, but there were proof texts for the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Specifically, But the order which puts Chata'ah, which puts Shogeg at the end, is in fact the order of the Yud Gimel Midot. How do you explain it? So the Gemara gives, Chachamim gives the following explanation for the order of our Pasuk, for the Yud Gimel Midot. Amar Moshe Lifnei HaKadosh Baruch Moshe said to God, The explanation of the words is as we said, transgressions, rebellions, and unintentional sins. What Moshe Rabbeinu was saying was the following, when the Jews have sinned and wish to do Tshuva, wish to repent, treat their 
intentional and rebellious sins as though they were only unintentional sins. Aseilehems donot kishkagot. And Rashi makes it clear with this dust to the Pasuk. Nosei avon vafesha kichatat shogeg. God bears the avonot and the pshayim as though they were chataim. He bears the intentional acts as though they were unintentional. Now, what would be our conclusion from this explanation of the Gemara? First and foremost, that there only are two midot. As Rashi pointed out, nosei avon vafesha kichatat. He doesn't bear three things. He bears the intentional and the rebellious actions in a manner that treats them as though they were merely unintentional acts. There are only two possible midot here, but of course we're counting this as three. That's my first question. Two, what does it really mean? What does it mean to say to God, treat our intentional actions as though they were unintentional? Why should he do that? If he wants to forgive, we'll forgive. We've discussed forgiveness at length in the previous nine Midot. But what does it mean to say here? Well, you don't want to forgive, but treat them wider than they really were. What, what, what's the process here? What, what's the logic? What's the rationale? What's the mechanism by which this would take place? And thirdly, I, I simply question the chat. How can Chazal say that the words, Nosei, Avon, Vafesha, Vachata'a, clearly, bears three different things means he bears two things like the third thing. It's just, it's just not pshat. And, and how are we supposed to understand the statement of Chazal? If I'm already reading this Gemara in, 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 in Yoma, there's an interesting phenomenon. Of course the Halakha is like Chachamim because there's a majority. Rabbi Meir is one single sage. All the rabbis disagree and the Halakha is like Chachamim. Yet, nonetheless, the Gemara mentions that it was difficult for individual poskim or people to accept that. The Gemara says, "Amar Rabbi Baruch Shmuel, Amar Halacha k'divrei Chachamim." The Halacha is like Chachamim. The Gemara says, "Of course, they're the majority." The Gemara says, "Yeah, but on the other hand, if his Mayor is right, so I would have thought that why is he right? The pasuk in the Gimel Midot, the Kamasai like Chada Moshe." The Pasuk about Moshe Rabbeinu supports the Vimeyer's position, so I would think that Halakha is like him, therefore we had to stress that Halakha is not like him. In other words, although we've explained, this was my third question, although we've explained the Pasuk and Moshe that it doesn't in fact support Vimeyer's position, but you think it does because that's a simple pshat. And then there was a story. Years later, in the Amoraic period, Nachet the Rabbi the Chazan, was davening in front of Rabbah in Babylonia. 200 years later. And he followed Rimeo's position. So Rabbi said to him, what's with you? Shafkit Rabban Abadat Rimeo, you're abandoning the majority opinion to follow Rimeo? He said to him, well, I would like Rimeo. Why? Because the Torah is like him, the Pasuk. In the Torah, and he's given me doubt, it's like Rimeo. So although the Gemara is explaining Rimeo away, there's this continual drift, I would say, in Lachic opinion to back, go back to Rimeo, and you have to continually stop it. Rabbi objects and and the Pesach HaLachadik objects. Okay, so let's try to understand what Chachamim really was saying. My point is the following. Till now, hopefully, Bezrat Hashem successfully, we have described the repair, or, or I would say better, the, the, um, the undoing of the damage that sin has done 
to our relationship with God. Starting with the first shiur, I pointed out that if you've sinned, you don't have a relationship with God. No relationship with God, you're dead. All the midot were how God will continue to relate to you favorably, meaning He will grant you existence. God's will was that people should be good, but if they're bad, God's will is still that they should exist. We have to get back into God's will. And that was Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachum, Rachanun, Erech, Apayim, Apchesed, Vemet, and also Notzer, Chesed, Lalafim. And we finished that series. If the Bidot have been successful for you, then God, in fact, grants you existence. He's not angry at you, at least not actively angry at you. So you've repaired your relationship, or you've repaired the, the injury to the relationship you had with God. But, and this is a crucial point, in, in, in Yehadut, we believe that it is not only a matter of whether God is angry with you or not. Mitzvot and Abevot are not merely indications of God wants you to do something or doesn't want you to do something. Abevot have an inherent evil, injurious, inimical effect. There are different words used by Chazal and by Mephoshim. Sins are called, they're called poison, or they're called dirt. They're called stains. The sin is real. It's not just that God said, do this, and you didn't do it, so he's angry at you, so then you have to placate him. Lefayes, as the word that appeared in the Yushami by Erech Apayim said. You have to Get him to look upon you favorably despite the fact that you've insulted him. Sin is mud. Sin is dirt. Sin is poison. The Ramban, speaking about one particular kind of sin, talking about forbidden food, says the sins are mitamtem et hanefesh. They, I don't know how to translate mitamtem, they, they, they coarsen. They coarsen the soul. A person who sinned is a person who is who is literally being being dragged down, whether or not God is is displeased or not. A sinner is sick; he's diseased. The world is diseased when there's sin. And what we've discussed till now, will God grant existence or deny existence to the world, is one question. We've passed that stage. But the stage we're in now is the need to somehow undo the evil effect, the injury that sin does to the fabric of creation. Now, if we're talking about the relationship we have with God, then the order of Chachamim is correct. When you come to God and you ask Him to forgive you, so you can't start with the most severe and then say, and oh, by the way, there are also these little things. The order is, Chata'a. First of all, I've done some minor sins. I admit it. I confess. Could you please forgive me? If that works, you go a stage up. And there were some more severe sins. There was intentional sins. And in fact, there were even rebellious sins. That's the proper order. And that's the order which we follow because halachak chachamim. But that's not what we're talking about. 
We're not talking about severity of affront to God. We're talking about something else entirely. And these three terms refer to three different forms of injury, three different bad effects, three different tears in the fabric of the world that each one of them does. Okay, and that's what we'll now go back to the definitions Chachamim gave. Avonot Eilu Hazdonot. Avon means intentional transgressions. If a person does an intentional transgression, what has he injured? The answer is, he's, it's an affront to the good. If you do evil intentionally, so that it's fully evil, it's, it's evil in its fullest sense, not something which can be overlooked, then you've affected the good. The world reflects the good of God. The world is created by God. And God is the good. And therefore, the world is good. We introduce evil into the world. Evil in the world is what we call evil is intentional transgressions. If you do something unintentionally, you're not evil. If you do something intentionally, then there's evil. Yeah, just to give an example of that distinction, the Ramban, in discussing the concept of tzaddik viralo. Why are there righteous people who suffer? So one of the answers he gives, it's a very complicated discussion, one of the answers he gives is that he is suffering for the unintentional transgressions he's done. Because they also require atonement, as we pointed out, you bring a korban, and therefore he's suffering. But he's called a tzaddik, why is he called a tzaddik? It's not evil. He's not an evil person, he's a, he's a wonderful person. Evil is intentional acts. And therefore intentional acts are an affront, are an injury to the fabric of the good. Psha'im elu hamardim. The word pesha refers to rebellious acts. What does rebellion hurt and harm? Because rebellion is rebellion against authority. When we speak about authority of God, we speak about malchut. God's kingdom, God's kingship. So avonot affect the good of God in the world. Pshaim injure the kingdom of God in the world, the authority of God in the world. Melech Moav Pashabi, the king of Moab, rebelled against me. Therefore, I am no longer king of Moab. The, the my authority, the authority, of the king of Israel over Moab has been has been destroyed. If people perform actions that are not merely transgressions, but they're doing it lehachis, they're doing it to shake off God's rule over themselves, not because they're hungry, but because they don't wish to be servants of God, then in fact, the kingship of God, the kingdom of God, has been hurt. So what is our request here? Our request in the first two of these three midot discussing today, Nosei Avon Pasha is, not only aren't you going to be angry with me, thank God, Baruch Hashem. I'm going to survive. But I'm surviving in shambles, in ruins. I've set off a bomb. God keeps me from dying. But my house is destroyed. I'm living in a world that is evil. I'm living in a world that's not the kingdom of God. And therefore the first two requests are Nosei Avon, Nosei Fesha, literally Nosei, he should bear it, 
meaning he should if you if you insult somebody and he bears it so the insult disappears. God should suffer in using somewhat uh, archaic meaning of the word to suffer. To suffer injury, meaning to bear it, to absorb it, to let it happen and it just disappears. That's what Chazal mean by Nosei Avon Bafesha Kechata'a. Because the injury to the good, and injury to the royalty, to the majesty, to the kingdom of God are both caused by the intention involved. If you do an act intentionally, then it's evil. And if you do it rebelliously, meaning with the intention to go against God, then it's rebellion. So aside from asking God to please maintain me, I'm also asking Him to somehow undo, somehow absorb the injurious influence of the actions I've done. You say, well, how does he do that? So, I think the answer is very, very simple. God, in fact, um, inoculates. Inoculation is the good word. God inoculates the good and the kingship from the effects of sin. How? It's very simple. We've discussed at length how, starting from the very, very first Shiru, Take the case of majesty, of royalty, of, of kingship. God's kingship in the world is dependent on the people, on us. If we recognize God, He's king. If we don't recognize God, we've undermined His kingship. That's true. And I've said this a number of times, and it was, in fact, I claim the soul, the principle, the basis for the Yad But the opposite is also true. Before you can get to the line that I quoted, the eight and asab when everything will be done according to his will, then he will be king. You first said the opening line of Adon Olam, Adon Olam Hashem Alach B'Terem, called Yitzir Nivra, God who was king before anything was created. God in his infinite, absolute existence is pure good. Absolute good and absolute kingship. So, if God chooses to to relate his existence in the world to his true transcendent existence, then there's nothing that our evil, a human being did a few things wrong, that can't really chip away at God's kingship. It can't really chip away at the good, capital T, capital G. Not really. I know I'm contradicting myself now, but both sides are true. The first side, that we can undo, we can't injure God's goodness and God's majesty is only because God chooses to submit His majesty to our approval, to submit His good to our lives. But in truth, in God's world, He who existed before the world and will exist after the world, then nothing human Nothing created can possibly in any way lessen the infinite, absolute majesty and goodness of God. And therefore that I think is the request. I'm happy that you let me exist, but I'm suffering from the fact that I know that I've destroyed something. And God can, He can absorb in his own infinite existence, the injury which we have perpetrated. 
and by absorbing it, he inoculates it. By combining his absolute good with the appearance of good in the world, with the um, disclosure, with the revelation of good in the world, by connecting his absolute majesty with the revelation of kingship in the world, then there is no there is no injury at all. No say of own God suffers. He bears the effect of intentional acts and he bears the effect of rebellious acts. But there is one more injury left. And that is the injury that's found in chata'a, even in unintentional acts. Even sins that were caused by negligence, by, by not paying attention. But a sin is intrinsically a sin. And who is affected by that? The answer is man himself, man's soul. Mamban I mentioned. Mamban says that sins make the soul coarse. He's specifically speaking about unintentional sins. Mamban, the other Mamban I mentioned, who said that people suffer because of unintentional sins. Because God wishes in His mercy to, to cleanse you from those sins. But when He cleanses you, sometimes it involves pain because it has to be torn out of the fabric of your soul. A man who has sinned is a man who is sick, metaphysically speaking. And that has nothing to do with the intention, not because it was evil, and not because it was rebellion, but simply because sins are, in reality, poison. If you've taken unintentional poison, unintentionally you've taken poison, so one, the father who told you not to take the poison may not be angry at you. Two, you haven't affected his authority. Three, you haven't affected his goodness, but you're going to die. Because poison is bad for the body and sin is bad for the soul. And here it would appear that there's not much we can ask for because it's not a matter of attitude. So if God says, okay, I won't relate to the fact that you intentionally did it, that you rebelliously did it. So we're saying that the, the action itself, eating pork, intentionally or unintentionally, is bad for the soul. It's a stain. It's a stain on the, the pure fabric of what God has made when He created man. How can that be born? What is nosei chata'a? And here there was no expression in the Gemara and Yuma to explain it because you can't say kemashu. Nosei avon kechata'a. Nosei pesha kechata'a. The Gemara didn't complete the trilogy because there's no words for it. But we are asking that as well. We want there to be total inoculation from the sins that we have seen that the world should be as pure as it was before we began to sin. How is this done? So I think the answer is the same answer. That which can inoculate existence from the effects of sin is only one thing. The infinite, absolute, purity, goodness of God. We spoke about the good, so you said, well, the good is God. So if God views the good of the world as part of Himself, then the good is uninjured. We talked about kingship, Kingship was God. So if God's kingship in the world is related, connected, absorbed into God's absolute kingship, there's no injury to kingship. But now I'm talking about my soul. My soul is not God. We aren't Eastern mystics. My soul is me. God's created by God. But not exactly. That, that's true, but not exactly true. Judaism has a doctrine that says that your soul is in fact somehow at its root connected to the existence of God. 
It's called in the Torah Tzalem Elohim. And we've defined Tzalem Elohim previously in an earlier shiur as man's potential to be like God. And there I only use it to explain why God views you somehow as a parallel to himself, as a reflection of himself. That's how I explained Chanun, Bishamati Ki Chanunani, why God cannot, so to speak, resist the cry of pain of man. And we use it in some of the other Midot as well. And now we're using it in a much, much deeper sense. Not just Tzalem Elohim, you resemble God. But Nishmat Elokami Ma'al. An expression which means that the human soul is the soul of God from above. The Ramban says, Perusha Torah, An Vayipach Ba'apav Nishmat Chayim. God breathed into the form, the earth-formed form of man in Bereshit. He breathed into him a living soul. The Ramban very cryptically adds the comment, called the Nafich Midilei Kafich. You breathe from within yourself. It didn't say that God granted man a soul, made for man a soul. He breathed into him a soul. Where does the breath come from? It's mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. God breathed into man's man's soul means the breath came out, so to speak. It's we're speaking, so to speakedly, right? This is this is this is metaphor, but nonetheless, it says that God breathed out and into man. So the human soul has as its root a connection with God. The relationship that exists between God's majesty in the world and God's pure majesty. Malach and Azai Melech, the relationship between God's absolute goodness and His goodness as inherent in the world is the same relationship as between God Himself and the human soul. And therefore, if God chooses, Bechasto as a Midat Chesed, to somehow connect, to maintain the continuity between the soul of man and God, to, to invest in the point where the two of them touch and flow, then at its root, man's soul will not be stained. And that is no seichata'a. Not kemashu'acher. Not bear unintentional sin as though it were something else. But simply to bear unintentional sin. Unintentional sin meaning the, the, the weight the poison that the sin does to my soul, but if my soul is infinite, then there will be no injury. But my soul is not infinite. But my soul is infinite when you view it not as what's found in my body, but what's expressed in my body, but as part of a greater sense. Obviously, I'm talking now mysticism, and to tell you the truth, I don't understand what I just said, but it is the Yisod in Yiddishkeit, and I can sense there's a meaning here. You don't have to understand it to know that there's a truth to this point. No say Avon absorb the injury to goodness, which is your goodness. No say Pesha absorb the injury to kingship, which is your kingship. Don't let the good be hurt. Don't let the kingdom be lowered. No say chata'a. Don't allow the soul of man to become infected 
to become sullied because the soul of man is connected to your soul. The first two were made into shogeg, and the shogeg is also made into less than shogeg. It's an action, you did it, but it has no effect if God absorbs in his in himself the effect on my own on my own soul. This is what Ramban says that the nisiut, the carrying, the bearing of Avon, Peshbachata are different. Why are they different? Because they're being carried differently. What does it mean to carry, to bear, to suffer? It means to be absorbed and neutralized. God's goodness neutralizes Avon. God's kingship neutralizes Pesha. And, again, no word, God's very existence neutralizes The That part of God which is expressed in the human soul, for which we have no word, absorbs the effect, the injury, the sullied dirtiness of, of Chet itself. We've had two different stages here. A long series of Midot are designed to get me to exist despite what I've done. The last three Midot we've discussed have gotten my world the world I inhabit and my internal world, my soul, to not merely exist, but to exist with at least the potential to be pristine. Not to lose something which could not be returned. But, I have to make one point now, so there should be something for me to talk about in the end of the week. We haven't discussed atonement. To use a a, 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 a parable. If you're wearing dirty clothing, you could get infect- an infection. God inoculates our soul, the, the, the root of our soul, that it should not be infected by the sin that exists. So we've been protected. But the sin is still there. We haven't wiped out the sin itself. We've simply protected you from the sin. Atonement, kapara, is getting rid of the sin itself. And for that, we have to leave and wait for the last of the 13 Midot, Vinnake, wash away, wipe away. That's something we've never discussed till now. The sin has always existed, but despite the sin, you will exist. Despite the sin, you will exist uncontaminatedly. Vinnake, taking away the sin, that is the last, the Acme, and the 13th Midah, and that we have to wait to the end of the week before Yom Kippur. Call to enjoy continued listening to KMTT Kinitzion Tetzay Torah Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim.